Moonpig. Hello world and welcome to the Moonpig Tech Podcast. My name is Richard. And I am Jacob. And today we're going to be talking about when you should build your own solution and when you should be looking to either buy or rent something from someone else. And joining us today is Jamin Lathier. Hi, Jamin. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you for returning to the podcast. You were the first guest that's come back more than once, so we couldn't have scared you off before. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> um, I thought we'd start the conversation off by defining those three terms, build, uh, rent and buy. Uh, do you think you could explain those? Yeah, so I think, uh, I guess like build is kind of the classic thing of just uh, sort of writing all the software that you need in-house. Um, and then the buy versus rent, I guess some of these are, the, the buy could be kind of, um, you know, just purchasing software that maybe you install on your machines or you use in that kind of way. And possibly the rent is more like sort of SaaS type of solution where you're using something as a service. Um, but yeah, I guess there's sort of similar kinds of concerns around like build and rent and maybe it's more towards there was this discussion today is more towards kind of service orientated kind of offerings so it's more down the rent route i guess mm. yeah okay so let's start this conversation then by explaining why this is something we need to be considering when we're building a system yeah so i think uh, i mean big we're going through quite a big kind of replatforming um kind of project at the moment which is sort of um, you know, in the scope of a few years worth of work. Um, and we don't want to just kind of rebuild everything and have the same kind of estate that we do at the moment. We want to have kind of a reduced amount of software that we're actually taking care of. And so there's a question around, you know, what bits are important to us and what bits are not really adding as much value. So the kind of one of the key differentiators is around what is it that kind of makes us unique as Moonpig and what things are we just kind of using off the shelf. So the things that make kind of Moonpig different are that when you come to our site, you're buying for somebody else. So that has sort of um, different kind of implications for the way you're doing search. So you're not necessarily searching for your own sort of personal tastes. Um, another aspect is around the customization that we do to products. Um, you don't always buy something unique from other places. Um, one aspect of that also means that we have like an in-house design team. So we have designers that work for us who create those kind of card designs that we put on the site and they need kind of special tooling to be able to do their jobs. Um, also kind of using multiple addresses. Um, this does sort of start to get sort of complicated in sort of certain areas like uh, delivery and things like that. Um, especially around sort of Christmas, people buy um, a single design and send it to kind of lots of people. And then also we have kind of an aspects of things like manufacturing. So we're actually printing products and sending them out. So we have uh, factories where all of that needs to happen. And and yeah, kind of lastly, there's also the aspect that um, we don't have an expensive product, but we have kind of a big responsibility to get it right. So our product only costs sort of a few pounds, but it has quite a bit of an emotional kind of cost to it. If we get it wrong, people are still 
yeah, quite rightly, quite annoyed with us, quite angry at, yeah, we've kind of made a mistake. And um, yes, it's quite an important thing that they buy from us. So, so those are the things that make us kind of different from just any other sort of e-commerce provider, generic place where you'd kind of go online shopping or, or buying something. And then we've been looking at kind of the areas where, you know, we, we just need kind of, we don't need to essentially reinvent the wheel. So we're looking at providers for areas like our basket and our product catalogs. So for that, we're looking at towards uh, commerce tools for that. Um, we don't need to work out how to host our own servers and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, using AWS for that. Um, we don't want to build our own content management system, so we have Contentful for that. Um, also things like A-B testing and, and toggling, um, we use SiteSpec and um, LaunchDarkly. And then so similar things like uh, payment providers, we're using sort of Stripe and PayPal. And actually we're also in the, in the middle of looking for a provider to look for our to um, calculate tax as well because at the moment we have like a basket service which does loads of um, you know, logic around tax and vouchers and customer credit and this has become one of those sort of classic areas where nobody really wants to touch the code because <laughs> it's so like, you know complicated and you don't want to get this wrong and especially in like a financial kind of area of the system is something where people are a little bit sort of scared of making changes, which is exactly the place where, yeah, you don't want to be there. You want to be kind of feel safe that you can kind of make those changes. Yeah. So those are, that's kind of a bit of a contrast of like the areas that kind of add value, which are unique to us. And then the areas where it's just kind of a commodity sort of area of the business where, yeah, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We just want to have like a standard kind of process that's kind of isn't really going to be a big differentiator for us and just helps us sort of get the job done. Yeah, so is it fair to say that these are the sort of things that um, we would expect our competitors to have anyway and we don't need to do anything different to them. We just need to have that functionality available to us and our users. And then the, yeah, the areas, exactly. the other areas you mentioned, are the things that actually they 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 are Moonpig. They're the things that um, give us something different to our competitors, and therefore that's that's the stuff that we should be investing our time in building. Yeah, ideally, we'd want all of our developers just working on those areas of the system to make them as good as they possibly can be. So, would you say there are other factors uh, besides like? business uniqueness in that sense that would contribute to you making the decision, oh yeah, I'd rather see if there are options available out there compared to like building ourselves. Uh, yeah. So there's, um, there's obviously things like, I guess, like the cost of the systems and things like that. Um, so we have had instances where, uh, there are kind of commodity things that we have built in house. So. Uh, for example, with our logging solution, we've um, actually kept that kind of in-house and mainly that was a kind of a cost issue um, around, it, yeah, it didn't seem like there was any sort of competitive way of basically rem uh, 
taking logs out of AWS and putting them into something else, which sort of made sense from that perspective. Um, and what we could kind of build ourselves was kind of good enough. Um, I think that's always kind of an open question that we could kind of revisit later on. But for the moment, um, yeah, we've just kind of built a, a stack ourselves. That, um, we do have you know, an ongoing kind of maintenance cost of that. And so that's, um, yeah, there's kind of an open question there, I guess, around uh, if there's any point where we can do something else with that. If you've identified something, so say, say we're, we're, um, we want to re-platform the authentication part of our system, for example. Uh, and we've we've identified that that's not necessarily unique to us. That's something that many, many websites out there have to do. Where do we start in looking for something to either rent or buy? Yeah, so I think for us, um, I think creating um, kind of a shortlist of the things uh, or the kind of products to take a look at and I think that kind of starts off with kind of collecting what your, your actual requirements are. Um, I guess the big picture of this goes back to what is kind of the strategy and what is the, the kind of company strategy that we're trying to support here. And um, that will kind of help to sort of navigate what are the kind of the longer term and the sort of short term sort of goals around uh, what we actually want to achieve. And also kind of... Um, looking at all those kind of requirements, those kind of what if requirements of like, you know, do we really need sort of the maximum level of flexibility or is there, are there sort of features that we're thinking about which aren't actually in the strategy, so don't necessarily need to be kind of considered. So yeah, the kind of requirements gathering sort of stage at first of like, what is the kind of full scope of what we need? What are the kind of um, the kind of must-have requirements and the kind of nice-to-have kind of things, and then using that to kind of create that short list of um, of uh, different options. There, uh, we've also looked at things like uh, the Gartner reports for kind of um, looking at what different providers there are out there for um, for sort of choosing. Um, uh, yeah, so who to actually put onto the shortlist. And then from there, looking at uh, which ones do we actually want to create spikes around and actually try out to see, you know, how easy are they actually to use, um, get hands-on with those um, those uh, products, uh, what's the actual documentation like, what's the, the APIs look like, um, you know, um, get down and actually see, try to have a look at some actual working code so that um, we can uh, get a real feel for for um, what it's actually going to be like to actually use. So uh, this Gartner report, what what is it? Um, yeah, so this kind of has a report of, they kind of do lots of sort of analysis of different kind of companies in different fields where you can kind of see what who are the kind of, um, the kind of big sort of players in that area, um, who's kind of um, looking ahead to look at adding sort of new features and things like that, who is trying to sort of disrupt that kind of area of business. What kind of, I guess, like what sort of appetite for risk do you have around um, 
or do you want someone who is adding all the latest things or do you just want somebody who's kind of a, a stable um, sort of solution for that market? And they do a lot of that kind of market analysis for basically just making sure that you're not kind of missing out any sort of obvious options that could be out there that you need to um, maybe consider for which area you're looking at. And after you kind of decided which products or which providers you want to look into a bit more with a spike, um, how much time you like normally allocate for that? Yeah, I guess that, that depends, I guess, on you know, the size of the decision that you need to make. So I guess a large part of that will be around the cost and the impact of that decision. So, you know, if it's quite, going to be quite a big contract, uh, um, yeah, if, I guess if, if it's kind of an easily reversible decision, you don't need to actually put as much time into it. But if it's something which is, you can have quite a bit of maybe lock in to that decision over time because of, maybe integration costs or the overall sort of cost of sort of purchasing software or those kinds of things, then you're obviously going to want to be much more kind of certain and go to sort of deeper level mm. of, um, of sort of analysis and to be confident about those decisions. What well, is kind of the, the longest time we have spent uh, looking, looking at a potential vendor? Yes, I think we looked at commerce tools for quite a long time, our sort of e-commerce platform there. Um, And yeah, I think we were pretty happy with the decision we made on that. That was maybe sort of of a month or two's worth of work. Um, Yeah, just looking at different vendors, uh, comparing. We did sort of about three or four different kind of... um, dives into sort of code and the documentation of um, different solutions. And um, yeah, sort of fairly happy that we just saw a good conclusion with that. Uh, in addition to uh, the things you mentioned, which is uh, how easy is it to integrate and um, does it offer the functionality that, you know, for our business requirements, what else do we need to be considering? Are there other stakeholders that need to be involved? Yeah, I guess it's like, yeah, understanding what other sort of departments and things are impacted by these kind of decisions. Um, I guess, for example, with our sort of design team, um, the tooling that they use, and um, if there's anything that we wanted to change to uh, uh, introduce anything that's kind of off the shelf for them. Or, um, so there's a bit, I guess there's a bit of... Um, there's a bit of sort of overlap with some of these things because um, it's never sort of necessarily like a clean cut where, you know, one is, you know, all these kind of different tools need to sort of integrate together. So even though, say, our design team is an area where we maybe would want to lean towards building more bespoke tools, um, they do still need to integrate with commerce tools because that's the source of our product data. So for them to be comfortable with things like um, the interface and how you um, kind of navigate around the product and um, it's kind of responsiveness and things like that still come into place and and whether it fits with their kind of workflow of how they can be kind of effective at doing their jobs as well. That kind of, I guess, like the product consideration and the UX of that side of things definitely needs to be thought about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other aspects around kind of security and things like that. Um, there's like GDPR compliance and whether you're actually going to be putting any like PII data or any personally identifiable information into there. And um, yeah, other well, sort of non, non-functional sort of requirements around sort of performance and uptime and things like that. Um, are you kind of introducing another kind of uh, failure point into your system by adding another vendor in? You know, things like what is their kind of uptime um, and things like what kind of load they can accept on their system? Um, and are there ways of kind of mitigating that as well? Um, if they're down at some point, you know, what actually happens to your system? Um, is there a way where you can kind of skip over that process or is it something that's just kind of has to be there and you need to you need to kind of sign off on whatever that risk is of um, them actually going down. There's a lot of interesting stuff there, but I just want to pick up on one thing you said, which is um, in your in the back office part of, of your software system, if, if you've got a, uh, a team that works in a particular way, and you're trying to replace the the software that supports them, and you find a piece of software that's off the shelf, or you can rent it, and it's you know functionally it does everything you want, but it doesn't follow the flow that that team's used to working in. Is that a point when you say, well, this software is the right thing, and we're going to ask you to change your flow, or is it at that point you said software isn't appropriate, or do you look at saying, well, we're going to take this software and we're going to customize it to work with your flow? Yeah, there's um, yeah, some of this stuff yeah pr- brings out quite interesting things because it's definitely the thing of um, you need to be sort of open minded about changing the process because there might be certain things where there's a process and it's it's just one of those well it, we we do it that way because it's always been done in that way and that at that <laughs> point you need to kind of challenge people and say okay this might be a bit uncomfortable to change it but actually you know in the long run this is just a much more sensible standard way of doing things. And we don't want this kind of, you know, complicated thing, which you have to train everybody up to remember how to do and all those kind of things. Um, but yeah, there is kind of a balance of, um, yeah, having that importance of not making somebody else's life much more complicated um, and having sort of a good sort of flow and yeah, I guess it's a, a, a normal kind of product kind of um, issue around sort of the UX of, um, you know, how often does a person have to do a certain process? Um, if it's something where, okay, actually they don't do it very often and it's a little bit more difficult, can we kind of live with that? Because maybe there, really, you know, there isn't necessarily the perfect product out there. Um, or is it something that actually they do this every day all the time and actually this is something where we do want to kind of call it out and push back and you know sort of raise its importance more so you've identified this this skip skip ahead now you've identified um a piece of software that you want to let's say rent because we, we generally tend to prefer that um What's the next steps then? So how, how, what good patterns do we have for bringing that into our system and, and getting it under our control? 
Yeah, so I think, yeah, normally, I guess in our circumstance, it's going to be the thing of moving away from something that we've built in-house because we've pretty much built everything um, and moving towards you know, more of a, a, a service that we're, um, we're buying. And so I guess like the classic one is using the kind of strangler type of pattern where, first of all, process is to try to get every part system to kind of read and go through a certain um a single point where it can kind of get its data from um so that then in behind the scenes you can then switch that out for a different service rather than your kind of your 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 built system and as long as you're keeping that interface the same, then everything else which is consuming that should um, just keep on working as normal. Um, and the other, I guess, yeah, the other side of it is looking for these kind of code seams in the where you can actually make these kind of splits in the code. Um, this is, I guess, this is where we kind of like. This is, uh, yeah, the most sort of challenging part is how do you kind of, when you're working on sort of a larger kind of system and usually you're moving away from a system that has a lot of high coupling in it. And then when you have that high coupling, how do you kind of find those places where you make those kind of splits in the system and you say, okay, from here onwards, it's going to be the new world. And from these other bits, we're just going to sort of leave them in kind of the legacy world because... The thing you you do want to try and avoid is the kind of the big bang approach of um, yeah, kind of one day just switching everything on into the new world. Um, I guess um, for the size of the systems that we're working on, we want to be able to sort of avoid that and trying to find those kind of natural places where we can make those splits. So, so like for instance, um, we. Um, yeah, we operate in three territories. We have um, our biggest kind of customer base in the UK, and we also have um, uh, sites for Australia and the US. But um, in Australia and US, we have a, a far lower kind of market share. So um, I think the US is only you know, a very small part of our business at the moment. So we kind of decided to use that as kind of a platform for testing out our new journey. Um, I think there's kind of a similar thing where like Facebook use like Brazil as their kind of initial sort of testing bed for kind of releasing certain new features. So we're kind of following that kind of idea of kind of funneling people from that journey into using the new system, getting confidence that that's all hanging together and integrating properly. And then as that as we get more and more confidence, then we've been rolling that out to Australia. And then eventually the plan is to roll more of that out to the UK gradually as we kind of um, build that up as well. So I think that's really interesting. It's like in that sense, that's not really a seam in your code in that sense that you're finding, but more like an operational one. Yeah, I think, yeah, we there's, um, I guess it's, yeah, it's about kind of splitting the system along yeah thinking about all the different kinds of dimensions 
the, the system can be split on because, um, yeah, it could be about region. It could be about certain products that you sell. Certain products go through a certain process and others mm-hmm. don't. Uh, it could be sort of types of customers. Um, it could be, uh, you know, all, all sorts of other sort of things like that. And I guess kind of, yeah, that's one of the challenges is trying to be aware and think of all the different ways that you can kind of leverage to make these kind of changes easier so that you're just reducing down uh, kind of the, the kind of the blast radius of if something isn't quite right, you know, it doesn't affect everyone. You can kind of do it in a lean way. You're finding those um, kind of simpler sort of scenarios that you can then build up and increase confidence gradually and, yeah, just be able to kind of leverage a more agile type of implementation. Can we just go back to the strangler pattern? Um, I actually think think it's a really powerful way of, of, of doing this sort of migration. But I guess what one question there is, you're defining your own API that you're going to put around this particular area of your system, this business capability. And you, you, you do that before you get to your new implementation of it, right? So does that constrain you? Does that does that mean make it harder to to use the full extent of that system, or is it fine because you're just doing it for compatibility compatibility for now, and you'll expand on it a bit later? Yeah, there's um, I guess it's it's going to be kind of a temporary thing, so it's a, it's there to kind of enable that transition. So it needs to be around for as long as that kind of legacy system is going to be around. So that's I guess it's kind of the lifetime of the versioning of that API and in terms of supporting like the backwards compatibility of it. So you've got that kind of constraint around when the, if the legacy system still needs to call it in that way, then yeah, you need to then support it. Once you've then kind of moved away from the legacy system and you've only got kind of new things that are calling into it, then, yeah, you can kind of evolve that API um, a bit more kind of freely or have kind of that one sort of less restriction on there. Um, and, yeah, I guess it, it depends on... Um, yeah, understanding... Um, yeah, how, it, it depends on um, how complicated... The solution you're kind of bringing in is hopefully you're normally going to be in a situation where you do want to kind of standardize something to a simpler solution so hopefully you have a solution where you're bringing in something that is simpler than the old one and <laughs> doesn't have as many kind of uh, more complicated kind of things to think about yeah i think um i mean i, I was playing devil's advocate there a bit really but it also gives you uh an anti-corruption layer, doesn't it, um, for making these changes? And you you know that you're going ahead safe, and the clients can be sort of unaware of the the changes you're making behind the scenes. I think that's a pretty powerful yeah. technique. Mm. Um, I guess we've got an example of that with our GraphQL that that we're introducing. Would would you say? Yeah. So. The kind of architecture that we're trying to aim for is using um, GraphQL over all of these kind of services. So um, 
So our API will have kind of a graph, which is um, kind of a merge of all of the other graphs, which our services are providing. So for instance, um, we probably have a graph for all of our product data, one for all of our sort of customer data, one for things like orders and carts and things like that. And then I think the longer term plan at the moment is to look at um, merging all of these into one graph, which then, yeah, the actual clients then call into. And whether this, whether those graphs are kind of a front for a third party system or an in-house built system, that's kind of abstracted away and the clients don't really know what's all going on behind the scenes. They all see kind of a universal just view of the API and what's driving it behind the API is kind of hidden away there. Um, so they all see kind of uh, a view of the API that they can kind of aggregate all the data together. Some mm -hmm. of it might be aggregated in from a third party system or some of it might be aggregated in from um, something we've built in in-house, but the clients don't need to kind of know about um, how that's all happening behind the scenes. So what are some pitfalls that you have encountered uh, when integrating a new system that someone should be aware of? Yeah, I think around, um, yeah, definitely things like sort of the downtime and thinking about those kinds of things up front, how they, um, how they might affect your system. Um, yeah, I guess, for example, we have, um, we are built on, uh, we're hosting ourselves on AWS, uh, but Commerce Stores is built on uh, GCP, on a Google Cloud platform. So potentially we have exposure to either of those sort of providers um, sort of going down and affecting us. So thinking about how your kind of risk is kind of spread across uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, if everything was in AWS, then we just worry about that one platform and anything affecting that. But yeah, we've kind of, um, yeah, we've kind of made that sort of decision to kind of, um, that they're kind of okay with uh, the sort of reliability of those. Um, I think another factor is around kind of load testing and how you how you kind of uh, do load testing of your platform and um, you know uh, whether you can actually do sort of load tests um, and how you sort of avoid situations where you're kind of hitting third party providers, especially things like say sort of payment providers and things like that. Um, when you're you're doing your kind of load tests and you know often their test environments are not necessarily gonna um, support the kind of rate limits that you have um, on your kind of production environments. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other sort of main area around that kind of thing is um, definitely trying to be kind of pragmatic about what your ideals are. And I think this goes back to that point around um, um, finding 
yeah, the complication of finding where you make these kind of splits in the code. Um, so we have these kind of architectural principles around trying to use kind of serverless products as much as possible. And also we kind of had the aim of um, being able to build like dynamic test environments and other principles, like we didn't really want to have to call into the kind of legacy systems ideally, but you're kind of, you're not, if you're, if it's kind of a fairly high coupled system that you're trying to move away from, you are going to have to do some of those kind of things that you don't want to at certain points. You're going to have to kind of make these kind of tough decisions where yeah, kind of temporarily, you might have to make a sort of a bad choice of um, calling into a legacy system and creating a dependency on it temporarily in order to give you that kind of stepping stone to move forward. Because in a kind of a, a system which has a lot of that coupling, there may not be another way to, to move forward. You might just be a bit stuck unless you can be pragmatic and say, okay, we are going to do that thing which isn't totally ideal, but it it helps us move that one step forward. And then once we're in that better position, then we can kind of keep moving forward from there. And we're not just kind of stuck in, um, you know, trying to find the perfect sort of step forward, which meets all of our ideals the first time. And um, yeah, it isn't necessarily possible in a system that we're working on. Mm. And I think I think Uri Dahan said this in one of his courses, like sometimes there's just not a straight step towards the vision that you have, right? Sometimes you need to zigzag your way mm -hmm. into the general direction. Yeah. I think, I think yeah, being okay with that, uh, kind of making those decisions quite deliberately, sort of, you know, weighing up the trade-offs of, you know, if we go down this road, you know, the... the yeah, the opposite might be that you're doing more of the, the kind of the big bang approach of you're changing lots of things to meet the ideal, but then you're changing too much and you're introducing a lot more risk in your releases. Whereas if you're making smaller steps, they're not necessarily as ideal, but they might be less risky and they get you those kind of few steps closer to where you want to be. And as long as you have the buy-in that you're not going to suddenly get stuck in that position and you are actually going to keep on moving forward, then mm -hmm. you can actually sort of yeah, use that to, to get to that closer to that ideal. Sounds good. Love me a bit of pragmatism <laughs> and a bit of a, and a bit of an iterative approach. That's that's great. Um okay, so let's say you've gone through the project now, you you've integrated your third party. How do you know that it's been a success? Yeah, so I think there's a few things around this. Um, I think especially if you're building something or if you're, if you're buying something that's kind of off the shelf, it should just work. Um, yeah, you don't want any sort of surprises. Then it should be the type of thing where yeah, nobody really notices. Nobody really sort of cares about the system or yeah, it, just, it just sort of does its job and nobody really sort of talks about it anymore. Um, that's kind of, I guess, like the ideal for something that just kind of kind of takes care of itself and you know you don't need to put developer effort into it anymore um and yeah a lot of this is around that idea i guess so yeah paying off kind of tech debt 
that we have in these kind of systems, moving away from having lots of code that we need to support to you know, making it somebody else's problem and you know, leveraging other people who are more expertise in that kind of area. And this should sort of reduce those lead times. So when we do get that time that we can just focus on the things that make us unique, you know, reducing the amount of time that uh, it takes to, you know, kind of um, the complexity, you know, the, the other complexities that we need to think about with um, being coupled to some other system that we've built in-house and then being able to actually add value much faster. That's a very compelling argument, isn't it? That by doing all this work, all of a sudden we can innovate very quickly. Yeah, because a lot of the effort is just based on the things that have the, have the higher impact rather than just making a bare basket, which, yeah, we just need a standard one. And I think, um, you know, on the, yeah, I guess off the back of that is kind of adding new features faster and kind of unblocking things which may have been, you know, quite challenging to implement on top of sort of complicated things that have um, gone before. Um, I think one one we had um, previously was um, being able to offer things like free postage. I think that was quite a, we implemented that and it took quite a long time to implement, which shouldn't really be something particularly unusual for a product owner to be able to request. But um, on top of sort of the basket that we had became sort of quite a complicated problem to solve. Um, but yeah, since we've started using things like commerce tools, we've noted thing, things like, especially the offers, um, I think we had an offer which went live in the US um, for customers at that point using the current legacy system. And we needed to implement that quite quickly on the new platform. And that was, I think, a matter of minutes to just use some built-in features, you know, kind of use um, the UI to just uh, implement that rather than actually having developer effort to go in and code it. And we were able to kind of get that kind of um, that kind of parallel, um, it was all equi equivalent functionality really quickly in there. Sounds like a great test. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely nice, nice quick win. We got kind of straight away in there. Very nice. And then I think there's, there's a couple of other things. Um, I guess to sort of go back on that idea that so nobody notices and um, where um, yeah we don't have to kind of worry about these kind of things. Um, I think we we did at first have that kind of ideal sort of view that everybody yeah could be working on just on those sort of unique things. I think I think one of the things we kind of learned going into this or at the position we are now in the replatforming, I think we know the level of effort that we need for each of these systems a lot better now. Um, um, I think we will always need a certain number of developers who work, say, on around sort of commerce tools and the baskets and things like that. Um, it's not necessarily that I think in that area we've learned we can't go to the level of 
just completely forgetting about it. Um, there will always need to be some level of effort around those areas. Um, but we're still definitely happy with the choice that we've made and the reduction in the amount of effort. So yeah, I guess we have more, much more kind of realistic kind of view of what's possible in terms of um, reducing the effort now. And I guess that goes back, that goes into links into kind of happier developers just in general. <laughs> yeah, kind of people who get to work on, yeah, kind of, we all like using you know, the latest tech, all the, you know, the React and GraphQL serverless and all those kinds of things rather than just having to work on, um, you know, the older versions of like uh, R.NET stack and um, being kind of locked into using that kind of technology. And yeah, I guess that's sort of one aspect of kind of happier developers getting to learn new skills and new technologies and things like that. But also just the, um, also that side of, you know, developers like making an impact and um, we like seeing change and we like seeing that our changes are going live quickly making a difference and they're actually yeah, they're moving the needle and on the metrics that we care about. Yeah, and it's not just us developers, right? It's also our product managers. It's also our designers. When you know we can do things that we weren't able to do before mm. and can do them faster. Yeah. It's always a win, of course, for the business as a whole. All right, Jamin. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to chatting to us today about rent versus build versus buy. Um, this is it for this podcast. Thank you so much, dear listeners. If you have any questions, if you want to get in contact with us, please either send an email to techpodcast at moonpick.com or just tweet us at moonpicktech. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Moonpick. <laughs>